0: Leaders come in all different shapes, sizes, and styles. There is not a one-size-fits-all solution to leadership. Our goal is to connect with those who are in the trenches each day, leading themselves and leading others, to learn about their unique style, and to provide our listeners with inspiration to lead. Welcome to the Lead with Empower podcast. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome. Welcome. To the Lead with Empower podcast, we have a very special guest this week. He didn't travel up to Connecticut, and I don't, you know, I don't blame him, I guess. He's down there in sunny Florida in the Tampa Clearwater area. Our guest on the Lead with Empower podcast is Mr. Coach himself, John Vigu. John is a former professional baseball player, and we'll get into – his, uh, his path and his journey there at the uh, you know from the competitive level but we have John on this week because uh, he's currently managing the is it the U, is a U10 team John? Yes it is. So the, the U10 so 10 and under uh, Lady Alliance softball club down in Clearwater Florida. John, it's been a couple weeks since we last uh, seen each other. really appreciate you coming on today. first and foremost, how are you and the family everybody healthy everybody doing well.
1: Hey man, yeah, it's great to be back. I appreciate you having me on again. Everybody's good here. We're very fortunate and blessed. We are healthy. We're we're working. Uh actually my wife my wife is finally off. She is a, a teacher, an educator, and her school was um from day one, they they were working full bore. And so she's shut down the batteries and officially on summer break today, first day. So good for her. That's a good feeling. Good. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and uh just for those of you listening to this podcast, we have another podcast called the WAS Sports Leadership podcast and it's really 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 geared towards sports, kind of the good, bad and ugly of leadership and sports and John was an awesome guest with Joe During and I on that podcast a couple weeks back. You can check that out on uh, on our website as well. But John, this one I'm really excited about this episode and I honestly I think it's going to be tremendous. One having uh you know, having the pleasure of getting to know you a few weeks ago and Hear some of the stories and some of the insights about your journey as a competitive baseball player and a coach and now coaching at, you know, a completely different level. Um, but also we're, you know, you're down in Florida. You're kind of a couple weeks ahead of where we are up in the Northeast as far as getting some things back rolling again. And as we get into this episode, we're going to hear a lot from John about the return of youth sports, at least from his vantage point. Uh, you know uh, due to the COVID-19 pandemic everything was kind of put on pause and I think it'll be a great listen you know for those people that are up here who haven't gotten to that point yet but you know that decision's going to come at some point point. and you know kind of how do you get yourself in the best position to make a good confident decision as, as a leader of a, a youth sports program so John excited to have you so John we're going to get we're going to get right into it right here we're going to talk uh get into your high school career. So you started off competitive baseball player. Really anything before high school level, we're going to toss aside. At the high school level at Seminole High School, give us a little – paint the picture for John Vigue as a high school athlete. What are we looking at right here? What position did you play? Give us some insight as to what you were like as a, as a young ball player, 14 to 18 years old.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, I was fortunate. I got to play at one of the power programs at the time, Seminole High School um, – was one of the better schools in the state of Florida. Um, my freshman year, um, I was fortunate. I was a scrawny little little kid and s- played second base. And, and as a freshman, got the opportunity to play quite a bit. Um, we went 27-3. At one point, we were ranked number one in the country because we beat two teams that were ranked number one in the country uh, in the same week, if you can believe it. So wow. I was fortunate. To be a part of a, a very good program, we won a lot of games. Uh, my freshman, sophomore, junior year, we had some big-time players, high draft guys, a lot of Division One, Division Two players. Um, and you know, I played the, the middle infield. And going into my senior year, kind of started throwing the ball a little bit because we need we had a need. I was the I was one of the guys that could pitch growing up. Um, but, like I just mentioned, we had some big time arms my first year, three years of high school. It wasn't even a, a thought. But then going into my <laughs> senior year, um, I started throwing more in the fall leagues and, you know, I okay velocity, but I could pitch. I was a, I was a Greg Maddox guy. I could pitch, I could throw the ball in and out and up and down. And um, I got fortunate and signed early with USF as a second baseman in the fall. So I really didn't have a lot of pressure going into my senior year. And I ended up pitching quite a bit my senior year, ironically. And, uh, we had a, a good year lost in, how about this lost in our districts. Um, I threw a no hitter and lost one to nothing. Come on. Yeah. Three, oh. base, a three base error. And, uh, and then they, they bunted the guy in. I couldn't get, it was a kind of a squeeze play. I couldn't get the guy at home, got the guy out of first and, uh, won one nothing that was my last high school game but yeah but my high school career man i couldn't i would never uh want to go a different direction it was it was awesome um i got to play with some unbelievable talented kids Uh, a lot of guys one of my good friends made to the big leagues off that team um clayton andrews he was a second rounder back then um with toronto so that I felt like that really prepared me for college uh, and playing with an elite group uh, like that in high school. So I got to, got over to USF and was doing both in the fall. They were letting me kind of feel my way through the workouts, you know, and then they said, listen, we're going to go ahead and bag the hitting. We think you're going to have a chance to pitch. (laughs) And I said, come on, I didn't even get the yeah, you need to play in the scrimmage games. I mean, so because at Division One, you, you got like three or four weeks of just individual workouts. Yeah. And I was doing double duty. And, uh, and then once the fall started, I, I strictly pitched, and that was it. I threw opening day as a freshman and never uh, saw college at bat. <laughs> but uh, it was a great four years playing at USF under Eddie Cartieri, um, longtime USF Bullhead coach. And we we went on a run my senior year. So I came in right after they got depleted. We had a huge freshman class. They were they were ranked in the country back to back years. They had some they had uh, some first round draft picks off that team, and uh, some big power guys. But uh, anyways, so we went through a couple rough patches being young.
0: Yeah.
1: And our senior year we got on a run and went to a regional semifinal. Um, so it was a, it was a fun four years college at USF. I, I finished uh, finished up in the top five in starts uh, all time in uh, starts and wins and uh, it was it was a good road and that led me into the opportunity to play for the Rays and I played a couple of years minor league ball for the Tampa Bay Rays back then they were the Devil Rays to be honest <laughs> before the name changed can't say that anymore right <laughs> no, no no more Devil but. Uh, had to play a couple of years with them it was a, it was a great great opportunity and it was I, I lived a childhood dream and uh, to be honest with you and um during that time i I actually got kind of recruited over to a local high school here at Dunedin to help start working with their pitchers and I was doing double duty and spring training and um really enjoyed it so when i when I got released by the Rays for unfortunate situation <laughs> <laughs> Another story for you, but uh, um, all good. Nothing I did illegally. So put it that way. Uh, Well played. Yeah, yeah. Um, But I got into coaching. I really, I I knew that's what I wanted to do. So when uh, that got got hung up, I I jumped right into. I got a head coaching job at a a high school here, is a a bigger school um, called Palm Harbor University High School, and took over a program that had been struggling, Um, and we 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 did well. But because of that, I got a chance to, to go coach in the summer um, with a buddy of mine at College Wood Bat League in the Valley for the Loudon Rangers. It was a first-year team. and uh, That's up so in Virginia neck of the yeah, woods Yeah, that's right up in neck of the yeah. woods, right? Yeah. It's like halfway in between. <laughs> yeah. So and I got into college, and, man, I, I really enjoyed working with the college athlete. And that kind of springboarded me into my college career. I, I coached at Florida Gulf Coast University for a year. And then I was four years at St. Pete College um, here in St. Pete. It, they were, we were one of the, the top uh, junior college programs in the country. Yeah. Um, we were state, state winners uh, multiple years. And we had a lot of stud players, just high draft picks. Um, and then from there, I kind of, I got pulled back to high school. And then I, I coached, I was a head high school coach at St. P. Catholic where you previously mentioned. Um, and ironically that is where my dad was a head coach back in the seventies and won a state title. That's where my college coach, Eddie Cartieri, went and played high school ball for my father. And, uh, so I got pulled back by one of my dad's former students who took over as the athletic director to come back and take over that program that had not done anything. And we turned things around quickly. Um, I was very fortunate. I had great coaches with me. I, I surrounded myself with guys that knew more than I did, and we were able to get some talent in there. And in four years, that freshman class that we had, that fourth year, uh, we went on to a state final four. I had 11 seniors, and nine of them went on to play college ball. Wow. So it was it was a great way to finish my high school career because I at that time I had my second daughter, and uh, life changed and kind of threw me a curveball, and so I stepped away from coaching. And now I coach youth girls softball, so it was a bit of a change, new new experiences. But I, I wouldn't change it for the world because I get to coach my kids and be with them and, and watch their development, and it's been a lot of fun. That's great. What yeah, great. now?
0: Your dad, your father, was a, a coach for quite a bit of time. I understand. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, yeah. He was. Uh, he started in the 70s at Saint P. Catholic, formerly known Bishop Barry and um, won a state title there. And then he had a an injury, a personal injury, that kind of got him out of the game for a little bit. And then when my brother, uh, I have an older brother, he's eight years older than me, and once he started playing, my dad started coaching him and kind of took him and took over uh, Shortcrest Prep. This is yeah. such a small world, Dan, so Shortcrest Prep is where my kids go to school now and where my wife teaches. Oh, goodness. Uh, <laughs> But my dad coached my brother there and won a state title in the 89. So my dad was, for 25 years, the only person in the state of Florida that had – or the only in our county – I'm sorry, state of Florida – in our county to win two state titles with two different teams. And um, that, that held strong for a long time. And at, at 89, my brother graduated high school, and that's when he started in a select – all-star team, and it was called the Police Athletic League. This was before AAU was even on the map. And uh, it was the top 16 and under team from Pinellas County. And, God, it was just the elite of elite. And we played other Police Athletic League teams across the country, New York, uh, Miami, California. And so 10 years, we won uh, 10 state titles. I'm sorry, and uh, five national titles, and uh, he, he was a junior Olympic runner-up, silver medal, and a Super Series, which was really cool, Dad. I wish they, they did more of the Super Series. So back then, they had what they called the Super Series, where they would take the top teams from the Police Athletic League, Babe Ruth, AAU, um, like all the different – it's the usual, All the high-end kind of – yeah. All the – the the, the cha- all the national champions would come to, to Beaumont, Texas, and play in this Super Series. Wow. It was so freaking awesome. And, of course, the one year he goes, he goes 4-0 in pool play, and then it's down in the final four. He wins the first game, so it's down in the final two. There was a hurricane that came through, and they had to evacuate. So they never <laughs> got to play for that gold medal. But uh, that was the year he had a first-rounder on the bump, uh, named Jeff D'Amico, that team was just so loaded, just <laughs> unbelievable. But anyway, so my father, yes, was a very long-time coach, great great programs, great teams. He did it the right way, and I was fortunate to grow up in the game because of him. I bat boyed for all his teams when I was little, yeah. and then, you know, just being there. I, uh, yeah. He coached a lot of big leaguers. I would tell you from those PAL teams, not only were they just – they won – yeah, I think the statistic. So we had a reunion four years ago. The statistic was 94% over that 10 years, 94% either played college or professional baseball. Oh, my goodness. So you're talking, pro- you know, would they have a roster of 20,
0: 25 guys? Yeah, uh, we carried, uh, he carried 16, 16 kids. Right. So,
1: over so 100, years, 160
0: guys over 10 years. And you're probably 19, looking at like a 150 and change or so, yeah. 140 and change, something
1: like that. A few that didn't, they, they, two played different sports. Uh, one went into the service, you know, things like that. So it yep. wasn't like they, they were just bums, but one, <laughs> one played, one played division one football and didn't play baseball. So. Yeah. yeah. They weren't slouches. <laughs> no, No, it was pretty cool. We did this reunion, man. And he had 10, big leaguers 10 guys from his 10 years as well we had them listed it was it was really cool for him uh, to see it like that because uh, to see all the guys that made to the show that played for him and went on college and so forth it was a really cool reunion a lot of guys made it back uh, so that's what that's probably what started my college or my coaching career right there. Was you know wanting to, to do what my father did touch the lives like he did and be involved with kids and teaching the game and teach them how to be men and well and young young ladies <laughs> now <laughs> and you're
0: yeah it's a change it change up for you a little, oh, change <laughs> little Maddox change up right there <laughs> um you so you only you played for your father in the pal um, in, in the pal league yeah um, right. not at like the high school level or anything like that
1: no when I was 15 and 16 I played for him that was that was about it
0: what was it like uh, my dad was a high school coach. I didn't, he retired, I think after my freshman year playing football. So I, and I, I didn't get to play for him on the varsity level. So I can't really speak to that. What was that like for, I think for you as the athlete and then maybe, you know, I mean, you're coaching your daughters now, so we'll get right. into that a little bit later, but what do you think it was like for him having his son on, on this team? Like how did, did that have an impact on the the dynamic of the guys and, Give us a little insight
1: into that, John. Uh, that's that's a very good question, fair point, and it's, it's a tough thing. I think all coaches got to battle when they coach their kids, but having been the second son, um, meaning that he he had already gone through that roller coaster with my older brother, and, you know, my older brother was was good and went on and played Division two, but he was All-State, and they won the state. So, you know, it wasn't that coach's kid, you know, oh, yeah. he's going on the team because he's the coach's kid back then, which was – you know, harder times, as you know. Yeah. So by the time he got to me, the expectation was already kind of set that he wouldn't play me or keep me if I wasn't good enough. And ironically, if you were asking right now, he would tell you he I was not going to make the team as a 15-year-old. Really? No chance. But the way they did the tryouts, we had these big tryouts. I mean, 100-some kids would come to these things. It was it was seriously. Wow. It was before AEU. See, and everything was paid for. You know, this was just a a once-in-a-lifetime experience, and if I got you any guy's number, they would tell you that. But after the tryout, they would do a straight-up game, match these guys up, guys that you want to see. And when I was 15, there was a a guy that was already projecting to be a big draft guy. He ended up being a second-rounder by the Rays out of our county, and I was two-for-two with two doubles off of him. And that sewed it up in front of all the guys that I would end up playing with. And that's what got me on the team. So he kind of put me in a place and and basically challenged me. I mean, I knew going in that if I didn't perform, I wasn't gonna make this team because that's how good they were. His pride and the what he put out there on the field was so important to him that, you know, if if his son wasn't able to play at that caliber he i wouldn't have made it yeah Um, and the fact that i showed out in front of others against somebody that was really good uh that meant that i belonged in it's in this way and you know i was probably one of the 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 lesser players at 15 and then getting basically if you made it as a 15 year old you had the opportunity to come back and we had a we had a group of five of us that came back from that were 15 year olds that made it back as 16 year olds and that 6-year-old team we were just freaking loaded uh we were we were we were really good it was a lot of fun and i i know it was very hard for my father you know um worrying about the whispers at perception yeah perception yeah. there it is but the reality is when you win it's really hard to say anything and when you go out there and do it time and time and time again it's very hard even in the circumstances where people may think i was getting the favor over others when you win, it, it, it really minimizes the, the background. And I've learned that in all my coaching yep. days, especially with, you know, you kind of preface, I do coach my girls. If I was to lose regularly and we were not very good, guess what? There would probably be a lot of that and a lot more pressure, I think, about my kids. But the fact that we win and that I treat them the same way I treat everybody else, um, it's it, it minimizes those whispers and 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 frankly those people that they they don't stick around with us and and that's that's great and it kind of also helps us get rid of those that can't see that i treat everybody equal you yep. know and we have lost a family or two that that the perception was that my daughters were getting opportunities over theirs but that's funny to me when <laughs> they produce and we win um so, you know, you, you win some, you lose some. Yep. But uh, I will tell you, as a kid, though, to answer that, and I'll try to sum this up brief, but there was a lot of pressure when I was 15, 16. Um, huge load off my back after that game I told you about. Um, yeah. But, you know, knowing the caliber of uh, uh, players and what my dad has done, what, it was it was stressful. And I think as a 16-year-old, I really got to enjoy it way more than I did as a 15-year-old because I had already done it. Uh, the guys accepted me. I had such a great group of teammates, uh, uh, guys that I played with. And it, it was a lot more fun, I think, as a 16-year-old. Um, so you know, I, I'm sure my kids have a little pressure on them. And they, they might hear some whispers here and there. But we try to surround ourselves, let me tell you, with people that want to win that want to learn life lessons and that, that know that I'm going to make them better. That's, yep. that's, that's who we want with us. And you know what? I, I think that'll keep us on the right track to, to not get caught in the, the daddy ball thoughts, you know? Yeah. It's,
0: it's great. <laughs> yeah, and, it, and you've said it, and you said this in our past uh, conversation as well. It's, it's grounded in something bigger than, you know, my kid, right? It's it's grounded in the the team. It's grounded in them getting better. And that's, you know, in my mind what, what a lot of what youth sports is all about is getting them to realize, you know, yeah, you could have one person who's great, but if it's not for the benefit of the, the, the bigger unit, the team's not going to be great. And that's a That's a lesson that translates yeah. to anything that you do for the rest of your life.
1: Yeah. But, I tell you one of the things that when I was like at St. Pete Catholic and I was at, you know, back when I was at Palm Harbor, and I, even now, I try to, in those parent meetings or our first kind of getting together, it said, you got to believe in the process. You got to believe that by the end, we'll be where we need to be. So that very first year, I'll, I'll even talk at this level, at travel ball, Yeah. you know, um, my girls were nine, and we were the we were the rookie team. We were the, the newbies. We <laughs> didn't have anybody that had played travel ball, and we were playing these teams. And guess what? The first four tournaments, we got thumped a little bit. Yeah. But by the end, the last tournament of that spring, we got second place. And then we springboarded into the fall and we won three out of the five tournaments. And yeah. the two that we lost, we lost to the two teams that went on to win it all. So not many, I'm sorry. I apologize. We were the only team to beat the champion. The team that, won it, all. that yeah. won it all. Yeah. So we we, we made huge strides, and that was my point to the, to the parents is, listen, it's not about winning this first game. It's about making them better by the end just keep, keep gradually moving up and getting better and better. Uh, and that's what really stunk about this COVID crap is, is our team, this would have been their older year, spring year. They would have been one of the older teams, not the younger teams, and they would have had an opportunity to win more, I believe, um, because that was what we were building towards. And you know, now let's start over in the fall. We're gonna move into 12U, and yep. uh, we'll start back at the bottom and work our way up. <laughs>
0: that's that's, but that's the best part. That journey of, you know, taking the lumps early on and sticking together and grinding it out and getting better and uh, individually, and then and before you know it, the team's doing something that is exceptional, something that they didn't expect. You
1: know, on day one of year one, which is awesome. Right. Right. If it was all, if it was so easy in the beginning, it's hard to keep them motivated. Right. That's right. That's <laughs> right. And and
0: you brought up a great point. And you know, our listeners vary. You know, teachers, coaches, some athletes, some students. If you're a high school or even you know college athlete or even younger than that, and if you're not playing, right? If you're not getting the playing time that you feel like you should be getting, this in my mind, there's there's three choices and i think only one of them is right choice number 1 is complain and moan and you know cause issues and do some of the you know the the behind the scenes locker room talk that'll just divide the team option number 2 is do the same thing but with parents right so now you have a dynamic where the you know you're, you're playing middleman between coach, parent, and actual real situation, and then the parent comes in, and then there's issues of, you know, uh, you know within the community part of the team, right? Right. And then option three, which is what John was – the situation that John was put into as a 15-year-old, freaking show out, do something, right, whether it's in competition or training or in the offseason or in practice or tryouts, do something that forces the coach's hand. You know, and at the end of the day, if you do that and it's still not good enough, then all right, you gave it your all and you fell a little bit short. Let's try out next season or whether, you know, whether it be, you know, no matter what sport it is. And in my mind, that's the only route a competitive athlete, someone who's truly passionate about playing whatever sport it is, should take is, Hey, show out, force their hand, right? Anything else is just going to
1: break the team apart. Well, I love that you kind of brought this up. And if I could just segue into what I try to tell all my players from, from again, from my nine and 10-year-old girls to what I told my 21-year-old college athletes is before you come and bitch and complain, look at yourself in the mirror and make sure that you could say, I've done everything I can to earn an opportunity. And nine times out of 10, you'll say, you know what? I've been late. Uh, I haven't worked as hard as Susie or, or Joey. I haven't done. And then if you are still confident, like you've done all those things, you've been early, you've stayed late, you've put in the extra time, you've outworked people, and you're not getting what you want from um, the coach or the team, that's when you you talk to the coach. Yeah. You know, yeah. You, you, your coaches will respect you 10 times more and probably give you – an opportunity faster if you come to them. But what's going to happen is they're going to tell you why they're going to say, these are why that you are playing behind somebody or may not be starting. And that is the best that can happen because once parents get involved, a lot of the coaches, you know, um, those that are listening, I'm sure you, you feel attacked. You feel like you're questioned. Why? Why? And you're like, why am I being questioned? So from that scope coaches, I always tell the parents, Before you come and knock on my door or call me, come to a practice and watch before you open your mouth to make sure what your kid's saying is true, Yep. you know? Yep. And it's funny, my wife is school, an educator. One of the things that she tells all her parents in their opening meeting is, listen, I will believe um, 50% of what your kids tell me about you, as long as you (laughs) believe 50% of what they tell you about me. (laughs) Meaning, <laughs> that is, that's fantastic. <laughs> you know, this, this, the truth gets stretched so much sometimes from a kid's perspective. You know, um, you got to come down and encourage your parents. Listen, come out here, see a practice, watch from start to finish before you come and question. You know, why is why is or isn't your kid playing? You know? and, I, and
0: that same mentality translates to the classroom as a student. Like, <laughs> you didn't fail the test or do crappy on the project because the teacher. Yeah. Right. 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 Let's let's uh like like you said, take that look in the mirror and figure out you know what? I tried to do a project that was given to me two months ago the night before it was due, and that's probably why I sucked at it. Yeah, you know, right. So it's that accountability side of leadership. And John, you know, it's evident in one our conversation tonight and in our past conversations, one of the things that I feel like you do tremendously as a leader is that upfront and honest expectation for the athletes and for the parents. And so there's not a gray area, right? It's black, yep. black and white. And if you're doing all these things and you, you, you feel like you're not getting your due, then the right. athlete, we can have a conversation and I'll respect the heck out of that. And if not, sure. before, before the conversation needs to happen, you need to, you know, look in the mirror and do that honest self-assessment there.
1: Yeah. And then to, to, To sum this up, you know, the the hardest thing for coaches these days that are coaching at a high school or college or junior college or uh, even rec sports, it's crazy. A lot of these families are paying for private lessons now that was not a thing back when we were growing up as much and are playing on these elite travel teams that are paying a lot of money. So everybody has a certain expectation of like you owe me or my kid deserves X. And that makes it a lot harder for coaches. You know, I I remember at St. P. Catholic, you know, when I came in, all these kids were doing private lessons outside of me um, and were all playing on two or three travel ball teams. And, and they, were
0: the, they were the best on those
1: teams, quote, unquote, the, quote, I'm uh, sure. Yeah. Yeah, so, but but if you paid, you played, you know, you found a team that would would take you. And trying to separate that mentality of, hey, you you don't just pay me to and think that you're going to play. That's not the way it works here, you know you earn what you get and you got to set those tides and that's very hard for coaches um, to fight down and beat down, you know, and, and, and those end up being the families and the kids that are the biggest problem, I believe is like those that pay a lot for lessons and pay for, to play on a travel ball team and be the 12th kid. And they think that they should start for you. Well, guess what? You're not as good. Yeah. And you know, that's that's where all those expectations come in, Dan. I appreciate you you bring that up. I, I really try from my seven and eight year old teams to all the way through my my college teams. You got to sit them down. You got to tell the parents expectations. You got to tell the players expectations. So everybody knows it's the unknown that opens Pandora's box and creates problems. And the, and and you know
0: those problems aren't just isolated either. And that's that's again the, the importance of setting the expectations out of the gate the pandora's box just doesn't happen one day and then it's done and over with it festers and festers and festers and at, at some point it becomes too large where it's you can't beat it down you can't stop it and, it and it and it ruins the culture it ruins any shot the team has of of being as successful on the field or on the court that they can be so you
1: know, big time and it becomes a cancer yeah that, that's right that's exactly what you're saying there it becomes a cancer that you can't get rid of and it sucks
0: what And we're going to backtrack a little bit right here. Just I played high school baseball, my favorite sport. I got to catch at the high school level. And then the the American Legion kind of played a little bit of everywhere, you know, and probably one regret is that I didn't give it a shot at the college level. I tried to play football instead. And, you know, that's one thing I look back And I probably wouldn't have been any good, but it would have been fun to go that route. What was the biggest jump for you from pitching your senior year to then stepping on the mound as a freshman starting opening day as a pitcher. What was the biggest jump in competition, you know, from the very competitive high school level to an even higher level of competition at the collegiate level?
1: Well, you know, that's that's a heck of a question. Um, I'd say the biggest jump is, so in high school, right, I, I did have a successful career on the mound, but, you know, a high school lineup, one through nine, maybe you're scared of, Three or four guys in that lineup, yep. maybe one guy that can't. You know, you can't let beat. You go into a college lineup, you're typically a lot um, deeper. Yep. So flipping that lineup becomes harder and harder. Meaning, once you get through that lineup the first time, you got to face them a second time. So now you're facing nine guys that were all the dude in their high school team. Yep. You know, so when I when I got the opportunity to start as a freshman opening day, we went down and I played. Uh, FIU, and um, they they were a very solid team, and and I got to start that because we were playing a three game set with Miami, starting Friday, <laughs> so I was technically probably the four guy yeah. got the throw <laughs> opening day, and uh, uh, so the biggest adjustment was you know I mean these guys they're bigger they're stronger um, they 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 all run way faster than high school athletes and and. I, I would just say it's probably the biggest jump was the fact that they were, they were all dudes, you know, they yeah. were all men and they were, it was a deeper lineup and the travel, you know, I, we were on a four hour bus ride and I, and I pitched, you know, when I got there, <laughs> we didn't have that in high school. I didn't have to deal with anything more than 30 minutes. So <laughs> that was uh that was a big test uh, <laughs> that in itself, you know, I, I, that just, it's totally different when you got to eat early and you're on a bus trip, you're going to pitch against guys you don't know anything about go yeah. up and they're all big men and scary and yell at you. And so it was a lot of fun, but uh, there's I, no, uh, in, in the, in the, in that college jump,
0: there's no room to breathe. Like oh, I'm facing seven, eight, nine. I can kind of, yeah. you know, at the high school, you're like, all right, I can kind of get through this one and get ramped up for the top. It's, it's full bore right now. You know, every inning you're out there.
1: For sure, and, and you know the difference is also you're playing. You're playing for a scholarship every time you're out there, right? Yep. I mean, in baseball, different than a lot of sports. There's no guarantee from, from uh, year to year to year if you're going to get money, and and we split 11.2 scholarships, I believe, over 25 guys. So oh, wow. it's, um, they they split those across. So when you want your money, you go out there. You got to perform, and you know your coaches. It, it's it's a bigger stake for them too, right? They got to win. They got to compete and uh they, they don't have time they don't have time for training wheels put it that yep. way you can't just go out there and and hope you know they, they didn't put me out there just to, to hope I, I gave them a good opportunity you know I, they expected me they gave me the ball to go out there and do a job because you know he's got to win they just didn't want to roll that roll roll you out there against the you in like your first first yeah. week of your college career oh, yeah <laughs> that, that was you gotta also remember that was uh that was pat burrell years and they they were that was the bomb squad that went off to yeah. uh the college world series and they hit all those home runs they had bobby hill and they were freaking loaded and <laughs> they had three big leader big leaguers on that team yeah. offensively and yeah. probably some arms but yeah they were they were nasty <laughs> yeah you don't want to throw the, the was 18 okay, year man. old freshman ready <laughs> <laughs> i was 100 percent okay with that call by coach
0: <laughs> now for the aspiring college athletes listening how hard was it to juggle the academic piece and because the the life of a college baseball player as you just touched on is a ton of travel you're playing you know series here series there how hard was it to juggle and balance and, and maintain a certain level of performance in the classroom
1: when you're on the road so much john uh man i yeah it, you're not joking. It, it is it is the first step of playing minor league baseball with the travel. So we play four games a week, sometimes five. Sometimes you play Tuesday, Wednesday during the week with local teams. Um, so there's a lot of games, a lot of travel. I will tell you, anybody that, that is playing college athletics, don't be uh, naive enough to not get help. Um, our academic program for the athletics was unbelievable they they were they were there to help with support with tutors and after our um, sessions before school sessions they had open doors we had study hall um, take advantage of that stuff because it definitely pays um, what you put into it it was that was a big reason why I was successful as a freshman to 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 navigate through these classes and figure out what's what. Uh, I also leveraged some upperclassmen that tell me what classes to stay away <laughs> what classes are sport friendly. But um, I had a great foundation coming from my high school. Um, I was a pretty, I was lucky to be a good student. Um, I, I did the work. Yep. I was, I was one that always did the, the, the little stuff, the homework, the, and, and, and the readings to make sure I was prepared. Now my tests weren't always the best and uh, that's okay, but I, what I always try to, to tell like my players do what's required of you. And that goes way, way further than your, your test with a lot of professors, a lot of teachers, you know, do the little things, don't be lazy and not turn in the stuff that's easy. Because yeah. if you're lazy and you're late to class and you, you're, you're always um, not doing your homework assignments. Why would they ever want to help you? Why would they ever want to give you extra credit? But I did all those things. I can promise you I was never late to class. I was always early to class. Um, I paid attention. I was very good at making sure I turned in assignments. And that's half the battle in college. And I would highly recommend, I mean, trust me, we had late night study sessions and, you know, pulling all nighters, cram sessions. I was not, I was no different than anybody else there, but I did all the little things. And that's what made me an AB student my whole college career. Yep. and graduated with over 3.0 is because I did, I made it a point to always make sure I was present and didn't sleep through class because you have that luxury of sleeping through class or not going to class. Um, and that's what I would recommend anybody, any student athlete, know your professors, figure out, make sure you're there, make sure they're seen, make sure you're, you know, you're doing the little basic stuff and, and it'll go a long way.
0: Kind of those talentless, uh skills right be there be on time turn stuff in when it's supposed to be in it doesn't you don't need to be a great athlete or a freaking genius to do that just do it
1: absolutely it's funny you say that i tell all my kids again i keep relating to the coaching side of that but hey it takes zero zero potential or you know to, to hustle yeah i mean you know you don't have to be the best player on a team to hustle on and off the field right so do that every day Hustle on and on the field, and it, it, that'll go a long way, right? The best players don't always do those things, you know? Yep.
0: And I, so I, I have a question for you that I want you to tell. There's a, a share a story with our listeners that you shared with me a while back. For the first question, again, going back into the the Rays organization, was there a guy – that you pitched against that you freaking just dreaded being on the mound against. Was there a guy that just got, got after you uh, <laughs> and that you were like, I hope I never see this guy again. And if, if yes, who wasn't.
1: Well, it's funny. Uh, I was a reliever for most of, well, with the Rays, I, I pitched out of the bullpen. So um, we would go in for two or three game sets. So it wasn't frequent that I faced guys multiple times, you know, in uh, in a, in a, in a in a series, in a set, yeah. In a series, um, and then I moved up the next year, so I didn't see some of the same guys. But I, I mean, I tell you, there's a guy that the first first time I was very excited to face that would have been Joe Maurer. Yeah, you know, he was the number one draft pick, and he was big time. And I I got him to pop up and I, change up, and then his next two times he knocked me down a peg. And, <laughs> and I would say you. In our, in our sport, we say that he pissed on that ball. He he crushed a double and a, and a single back up the middle off me. But uh, so he he was two for three off me, and he, he stands out as the dude I, I probably wouldn't want to continue to face left on right.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Makes sense. And then this kind of tie – and, again, one of the things I, I, I love about talking shop with you, John, is that there's these lessons that apply to youth softball, to – you know, collegiate level competitive baseball to coaching to life in general about being prepared and doing those things that don't require you to be, you know, God's gift to whatever sport you're playing. There was a story you told about a kind of a college recruiting event that you were part of and, um or maybe a minor league baseball recruiting event. And there was a story about a a, a kid not carrying his bag and someone else is carrying his bag. Oh. No. Talked a little bit about how those, those coaches who are recruiting kind of see everything. Yeah. Um, give yeah. our listeners a, the quick synopsis of that story
1: there. That was actually when I was the head coach at St. Pete Catholic. I was, uh, I was putting on showcases, and I put on one uh, my last year that had some four or five Division One coaches, had some Division Two coaches, had an NIA coach, junior college coach, and then I had the cross-checker for the Rays actually in town and they were all out there, and one of the things I wanted to give them was the opportunity, uh, uh, the players and parents, to hear them. You know, they were all going to, anybody who wanted to, say a few words, introduce themselves, but um, basically they were speaking to the the athletes about, you know, school and hard work and this, that, and the other thing, and travel ball, even back then, uh, you know, the importance of and not of travel ball. But uh, what you're referring to is the, the Rayscout scout. Um, made it a point to call out. Uh, we're gonna call him Little Johnny. Uh, <laughs> little Johnny, who who came up to the the camp, and mom was rolling his his bag because you know nobody carries bags anymore. They got rollers on them. So he, mom was rolling his bag and gave him the gave him the hug at the gate and said, "Go go get him, Johnny." And uh, of course, Evan, good friend of mine and, and uh, the scout, said, "All right, who?" whose mom carried their bag up? I need you to raise your hand right now so I can cross you off my list. And it, it, you could have heard a pencil drop. Everybody was quiet. And, and you know why I'm going to cross you off the list? Because you're one of 5 million. And I don't want the guy, I don't even want to waste time with the guy that can't carry his own stuff. And it was just, it was an eye-opening comment because it, the reality is, everybody's lives in their little bubble, right? And is the probably they think they're the best, or mom and dad think they're the best. And uh, his point was, we see everything, and it all matters. Once you get onto this, uh, you know, you cross that that gate, and you get in. We see it all, and I, these kids today they don't understand that. That you know, I I love when I can catch Sarah across the field thinking that nobody's paying attention or doing a little dance in the middle of something and I can yell. And it's like, Oh, how did he see that? You know, <laughs> Coaches, they see it all. And yep. it was awesome that it didn't come from me at that time. And it came from someone that was well-respected from the Rays that, you know, basically made it known like we see it all and I, you're not worth my time. If, if you can't carry your own stuff next, you know, it yep. was pretty cool.
0: And it gets back to what you said earlier about the college level. Like You know, there's no training wheels. If you're looking, if you're looking to play at the higher levels, that guidance and that kind of someone will do it for you mentality goes away really, really, really quickly. So again, those athletes out there listening, just know that if you have any aspirations to make some sort of jump in competitive levels that, yeah, they look at how you hit and how you field and how you throw and how you run but there's a whole other slew of things that they're looking
1: at Good. to see what type of, not, you know, what type of athlete are they getting? What type of person are they getting? Yep. Right. Are, you the, guy, are you the guy in the dugout with your head in the stands? Are you the guy talking to your girlfriend? You, you don't think they see that stuff. They, yep. they actually position themselves to see in a dugout before. And this is college and pro. They want to see, are you a guy that's liked by your teammates? Are you a guy paying attention? Um, you know, it, they see it all and yep. they, they look for reasons. This is one of the things Evan said. They look for reasons not to take you before they look for reasons to take you Yeah. because they got to shorten their list. You know, yep. they go to these big showcases. They can't see everybody. They watch people come in and out. They yep. watch who, who's the guy over there with three chili dogs or the guy with a power bar and a Gatorade waiting to play, you know? Yeah. No, it makes sense. Hey, so we're going to
0: transition here. Obviously the, COVID-19 pandemic is going on here, and um, the your softball club, the Lady Alliance, has just got rolling this past week. And like I said earlier, Florida's a little, you know, a couple weeks ahead of us up here in, in the Northeast. Give us uh, – you, you got going. You had a couple practices under your belt. As the manager, as the leader, or one of the leaders of the Lady Alliance softball club, give us an ins- some insight into – you know, that decision-making process, you had a bunch of downtime and just, just some background and kind of what went into, you know, eventually coming to the decision of, Hey, you know what, it's, it's time to start rolling and and get, you know, get some spring and early summer season in.
1: Um, So um, after I want to say like, week, I'm going to back up a little bit and let you know, just the listeners, how how our process went and maybe this will help or, or not, but, after about two weeks of downtime. So we we had just played our first tournament, came in second. We had one practice after that, and then it was shut down. So, like, what was that, around March 10th, 12th, somewhere yep. in that time frame? It was everything got shut down, and we were in our houses, and no one knew what was going on, or how long this was going to last. Nobody had a clue. So after about two weeks, we started doing uh, a Zoom call once a week just so the kids could talk. A lot of them hadn't talked to each other. Um, they would, we would do a little round table and then we started challenging them with uh, make setting goals and trying to keep them working towards stuff um, then we had two times where we had one of our assistant coaches she's a fitness trainer she did a little workout with the girls for like nice. 10 minutes on a zoom and got them all they loved it um, just seeing her and doing that kind of stuff so we were trying to keep them motivated and then we got in you know a month and a half into it girls are, are trying to work out trying to do their thing and that started tailoring off because it started to sound like this is going to be longer and longer and longer indoors. And, um, so here in Florida, we, we got into phase one, which was essentially, you know, they, they were trying to limit groups to 10 or less, um, in any kind of outside space and, um, the little league parks and everything was still shut down but we had a, a like an open field close to, to where I live. So we started uh, two groups that we ran back to back groups of six girls um, that had two coaches with them, maybe three coaches. So there was nine of us at a time. Yeah, we would run some stations for an hour. We didn't get carried away and try to hold long practices. We would we'd do some agility work, some hitting off the tees and stuff. And then the next week we got into some front toss where they got to kind of hit live, and um, it, they, it was getting them excited. Uh, so we actually did three weeks of that, um, and then our county. Uh, well, and then during this time, to to again keep everybody in the loop, we were doing the coaches a lot of communication on what what do we want to do with from here. We want to continue with these workouts. What's the next step of this? Well we were doing a lot of homework and I would encourage anybody that's considering opening the doors or getting back in, make sure you do your homework, understand this virus, understand how it gets contracted and can pass and what, what you need to do to be safe. Um, but we, the, they opened the, the the parks here. Yep. You couldn't hold team practices or scrimmages or anything like that, but they opened the, the gates and basically it was first come first serve groups of 10 or less. They were still monitoring that. We actually had friends that got kicked off because they had, they had 12 and somebody called a cop on them. But we had done it again where we took those groups of six onto the field. And we did a one week where this past week, ironically, it was this past week where we did, again, station work. Um, we went a little bit longer. We went about an hour and a half. And it was, it was so reinvigorating, getting back on the field, hitting grounders. The kids got way more excited and you know you can just feel it, um, so it was a lot of fun. And during this whole process, that brings us to where we are today. You know, we had been communicating with the families. Uh, we had Zoom calls. We had some conference calls where we were trying to make the decision: what are we going to do? Um, are we going to continue to try to do these small groups because it looked like we weren't going to open up to August? Yep. Here, yep. and um, we made the decision. Listen, let's give this two more weeks. Well, now that we're on the field, let's give it two weeks and let's try to play on the 13th and 14th if it's a local tournament. So we, we're we all committed. Well, matter of fact, we actually did a team survey, coaches, and that was something that my, my wife actually recommended and it was good that we did a little survey out to all the parents. We asked five questions that were kind of multiple choice just to try to make sure we had a sense of who, where everybody stood and it was uh, anonymous. So nobody had to write their name to it, but we asked for one from each family and it gave us some feedback to at least make it, make us uh, feel good about what we were, we were doing. And it, what I mean by that, it was, it was more than softball. It was a bit of normalcy for these girls in a routine of school at home, in front of a computer. They had something to look forward to on Tuesday and Thursday to go and do these little workouts. And when you hear that as a coach, you know, that was pretty pretty good to hear that they, they wanted it. So yeah. when we had our conference call last week, you know, one of the things I preface is, listen, I want to make sure everybody is still in on these little workouts if we don't get to play. Meaning, if we're going to do these two more weeks, you have to understand there's a chance we will not play. Are yeah. we all okay with that? And the being the response saying yes, that, again, made me and Coach Joe and – Uh, a lot more easy at knowing that this wasn't just about softball. It was about these girls getting out there working. Um, Of course, you know, we do some agility work and yes, they're getting reps softball wise and and, in the hopes of getting prepared to play, but there's, there's more to uh, these, these kids, they deserve a round of applause. I mean, what they've gone through none of us have ever gone through right and we're trying to navigate our own way we're struggling with work we're struggling with money and and our country's got all kinds of things going on and these poor kids have been at home at school you know doing school online not seeing friends not uh not being able to go out and play at playgrounds and parks you know my kids They had the fortunate – well, unfortunate that I was a coach (laughs) and had all the equipment. So we did quite a bit of work. But outside that, I mean, all they got was bicycle rides, and that was it. That was their life for, what, two and a half months. So these little workouts, although they were maybe strenuous on the coaches to do back-to-back small groups, um, it was great for them. And this last week being back on the field was awesome. They were – you could just – it was funny. All the coaches said Tuesday – was actually a little rough. They all looked tired. They um, <laughs> they were slow and lethargic. And Thursday was so much fun. They were bouncing around. There was a lot of energy because we were actually – we did a lot of ground ball work Thursday. Yep. And um, they got to hit live on the field Thursday. So it was a lot of fun. Um, and now – so we're, we're into – we have two weeks left, and we are going to try to play. So tomorrow, what happened over this weekend in our area is they opened – um they basically open things up to i guess you want to say phase two essentially there's there's not the, the social distancing is is still in place but they open parks they open the beaches they open pools and the the sh- stress of the 10 or less is no longer yeah so we're all going to get on the field together this week which oh, is gonna be great. cool. yeah and we're going to do a little scrimmage and whether they're ready for it or not they want to compete they and the pitchers want to throw off the mound, and the hitters see some pitching. So we're going to try to do that twice, and then see what happens when we go play the thirteenth and fourteenth. But that expectation, I can assure you, will not be about winning it. It's going to be about letting these kids just play and have fun. And if we win, great. But there will be no expectation of that. Um, it's we're kind of we're going to shut it down, and then kind of give them a summer yeah. because these poor kids, you know what they've gone through, like I said, this is, this is totally new. And we felt as a staff, not only is it just hot as bejesus down here. <laughs> um, they, they deserve to have a little summer, especially now that our restrictions have loosened up. They deserve to go to the pool with their friend all day and, and go to the beach or go, you know, they're opening theme parks already too here. It's yeah. kind of crazy, but um, you know, they, they need to have a little break because a lot of them were trying to to stay in shape and stay motivated during this three month quarantine. And, um, it's been a long, you know, spring, you know, we started in at the last week of January and here we are. So they put in a lot of time, even, even though they've been at home, Yeah, so that's, that's kind of been our road here. And
0: it's, you know, this, there's, there's so many, ch- you know, tough stories and, and negative things that have come out of the, that are still coming out of the COVID-19 situation. But I, you know, I always, from a, just a purely leadership standpoint, not related to sport or anything, you take a group of young, you know, in your instance, young girls who they don't have the life experience to even try to really navigate through this mess. And, you know, as adults, I'm 40 years old and it's a battle every day to try to figure it out. And then you look at like a nine-year-old girl or nine-year-old boy and it's like, there's no way in heck they're going to figure this out. So just the fact that they're they're healthy, they're okay, they're getting through it and they're going to get to go out and play a little bit. Such a win, man. Such a victory and and oh yeah. You know, whether whether the result happens on the field or not, it's going to be something that these girls look back on and say we survived something that was ridiculously challenging and it's only going to make them tougher and better and you know, have that mental strength to you know, next season work through a challenging situation on the diamond.
1: Yeah, you're not kidding. I mean, there's a lot of, of thought and back and forth conversation. This was, you know, the coaching, you just want to jump out there and play, right? There we yep. go. Let's go get the balls on the field. Everybody's running. Let's do this. Um, but you got to to make sure you're, you do your, your homework. You know about this virus. So, you know, as a staff, we, we bought one of those temperature checks. So we check yep. kids every time they show up. We actually took the time. We cleaned the balls, whether that they can transfer or not, you know, but it just puts people's minds at ease. We have hand sanitizer out there. We have wipes out there. We make the kids get a squirt between, between rotations. The coaches are the the ones that handle the balls a lot. Um, You know, they, the nice thing, again, when you look at this virus and you try to learn about it is, you know, we, we, um, our area there's a very low number of cases and it's primarily in the elderly in the in the, in the homes and yeah. the rehab facilities and such hospitals so in our community is very you know tight knit and the fact that once you start venturing out if you're able to position yourself with that community so our softball community and so you're not all over the place and going everywhere and, and opening doors to possibly get the virus. Yeah. Everybody in our group had been quarantined and was abiding by those rules. And so every before every practice, I, I contacted families via text, making sure nobody's feeling ill. Nobody's come across anybody with the virus. There's no no signs of worry. And just to, again, being the leader of the group, making sure that we're not opening the opportunity for someone to get sick, you know, and I did take that serious. And I felt like that was part of the obligation to make sure these other people are, are dependent and, and relying on me to do that and, and, and feel their kid's safety. So, uh, you know, we, we all are on the same page that we are gonna communicate about it. So if someone does get sick, this isn't the tough guy uh, scenario anymore. You stay home. Even if it's a sniffle or a cough, you're staying home. You're not coming to the field. Um, and, again, we are going to temp check you as soon as you get in and make sure nobody has fevers. Yep. But that's our new approach. That's going to be the new norm I think everywhere is, you I know, think so, too. You know, when we grew up, uh, what? You got a fever? Get your butt out there. <laughs> let's go. You know, you're going to go play. Um, <laughs> that's not going to be the norm anymore, you know. You got to take it a little bit more serious and, and put some things in place to, to make sure, you know, we have a medical kit with us now and we have – we have just the things present in case of um, yeah. something. But when I talked about doing the homework, one of the things that we learned is the transmission uh, from kid to kid is it's, it's very, very rare and minuscule. Like there's a, I I watched a, a long round table and I, that's what I was pulling up. Um, it was a, a youth baseball softball safety round table that okay. a, a doctor had done and he had Jenny Finch, the softball stud. He had Jimmy Rollins. He um, had someone from the CDC. All in this conversation, one of the things that they said is the transmission from kid um, to, to parent is basically not non, non happening. Yep. It doesn't happen. And in the whole United States, there was 25 cases of, of children uh, under the age of 20. Yep. So when you start looking at those numbers and the percentage and opportunity for this thing to spread, you know, is, we, we abide by it. We try to keep spacing when we're out there. We, we we're just doing, we're trying to do everything right because of the, the thought and the worry, but we're not, also not trying to scare the bejesus out of the kids. You know, yep. they've got to have some normalcy. They got, they, like you said, they, they, they can't come close to being able to rationalize what exactly is going on. And, we don't need to freak them out and they need to, to be able to live their life a little bit. And if we need can to be kids. Them, yeah. If we yeah. can put some safety things in place that them that opportunity, that's what we as a staff decided to do.
0: And you know, baseball, softball are great sports to get. I mean, just because I mean, when you play the game outside of the time in the dugout, you're pretty much dis, you know, physically yeah. and socially distanced yeah. by design. So it's a great kind of
1: great, great sport to start with they talked about that you know some of the sports that you're going to see get back out there are the golf the baseball yep. softball tennis because you're, there's a spacing you know that's involved
0: and it's outdoors too which yeah it's is, not you know, basketball yep.
1: football where you're right on top of each other so i think i think those sports you're going to see open faster i mean travel ball tournaments in the state of florida are starting to open up yep. the governor has opened things up uh, he he actually sent the press release a He wants you sports to get back into swing of things, but then each County each city has their own rules and regulations. So you got to be aware of that coaches, Um, which is crazy. Like a couple counties North of us, they're full bore hosting stuff. We cannot, we cannot play games or scrimmages against other teams in our County right now. Yeah. And you can't play any outside opponents. So what we're doing here is totally different than up by Orlando and on the panhandle. So again, you, you, that was eye opening to me cuz i didn't realize like when i heard the governor open stuff up i just assumed you know hey yep, statewide that, right yeah that's, that's role yep. but every municipality has their own um i guess decision that they can lay out for the for this new sports especially
0: so obviously awareness of the local recommendations is is obviously a big thing and we we talked a little bit before we started uh, tonight the juggling or balancing the act of kind of you, as the competitor, the girls as competitive softball players, and almost that empathy for hey, it's not just us and you know playing ball, it's families involved, and you know, cousins and grandparents of those kids that are playing ball. Just a quick, you know, how, how much did that factor into you know, not only your decision to start, but also kind of how you're handling those, those, those athletes and those families who might be in a little bit of a different situation than you're in.
1: Yeah. you're Well said there. And so as coaches, I, I definitely, you gotta, you gotta separate that competitiveness and, and take the high ground and make sure you're, you're compassionate as well with those that may not be ready to, and, and it's okay. So everything that we've done to date has been voluntary, right? Yep. So you can't force these families to do something they're not ready to do. And, to your point, Dan, some families are just in a different situation, you know, and 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 that's going to be across the country, every team, every, you know, whose wives or mothers or you know daughters that are involved in different things. Meaning, like, you know, we have a family here that that's mom is a nurse and she's working in in a wing that has COVID patients, you yeah. know, and there's a concern for her. She feels she's tested frequently, but she's on the front lines and she has a concern with her daughter being out and, and, or being a possible, uh, a host of, yeah. of, of the virus. So, you know, they have a different, uh, path and, and, and that's okay. You have to be okay with that. You can't, um, the competitor in you can't, um, be upset because they're not ready. And, yeah. And it needs to be. They need to feel good about what they're doing, um, and that's what we're, we're we're trying to support them. And we're trying to support the rest. That's the that's the hard thing as the as the coach, right? Because you are compassionate towards that, and you can see their stance. It makes total sense, um, you know. And then we have another family whose whose grandparents help out quite a bit with daycare, you know, because both parents work, you know. And the worry of the kid somehow getting it and then giving it to the grandparents that, you know, could. are at higher risk right so you know you got to be you got to just be compassionate you got to understand that as much as you want everybody just let's get let's let's move forward and get moving uh get going yeah that not everybody could be on the same page and and a little
0: little bigger than that right now you know it is it
1: is the whole world's it's this is going to be an adjustment year the rest of 2020 i mean you you see what this pro sports are going through right trying to all the measures and things in place you take the money the crap out of it still trying to figure out what's going to be the safest way for them to resume and lower risk and liability um you know they're going to play basketball in one city just to limit travel and what they're proposing for basketball is unbelievable but it's going to limit the exposure so um you know uh, youth coaches, you got, you're taking on a, a way bigger responsibility than you probably ever signed up for your free contract that you signed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but it just be, be a little, uh, compassionate towards all these families and understand where they're coming from and, and have open line of communication. Make sure they know what you're doing. Make sure you, they see how you're handling everything. And so, even Tuesday, tomorrow, we're, we're going to be all out there together. Well, we're still going to utilize two dugouts. We're still going to keep some spacing. We're still, you know, the kids are, we have cones set out between drills. So when you're not up, you're behind that cone, you know. Yeah. We're, we're just trying, even though everybody in our families have been healthy, nobody has been exposed to the virus um, outside, you know, the, the example I gave you. Um, you know, we're, we're going to make sure we maintain that all the way through. And that's a, a great leadership lesson,
0: whether it's in youth sports or anywhere, it's it's in these situations of uncertainty, it's the leader kind of going above and beyond, right? Whether it be extra equipment and extra spacing or the communication in, in these times where there's more, many more questions than there are answers. It's the responsibility of the leader to kind of go above and beyond the expectation right. and you know, do everything in their power to, you know, you're never going to eliminate risk, but you can minimize it to the best of your ability by doing, by being aware and, you know, being, you know, being uh, communicative with the, with the families and, you know, going above and beyond and, and you you guys are doing that. And that's great to hear.
1: Thank you. And I, all you coaches out there that are, are volunteers that are doing this for no money, you are the ones that need to make sure you're, you're doing everything right and being smart about it because um, that'll go a long way. Right. I mean, You don't want someone coming back and and questioning you or saying, well, he made my kid because they were going to cut him if they didn't come to this or that. Make sure you spell all that out, make it voluntary, Uh, have open line communication. and, and, And like Dan said, go above and beyond. If you can, it'll go a long way, especially when we come out of this thing. Well, John, that is freaking
0: great insight. And I really appreciate you sharing kind of the, the backstory behind your program down there, because I think it's going to come into play up here pretty soon. And it's going to be helpful for those coaches So really appreciate that. And you, my okay. friend are entering the home stretch. We got a couple, a couple minutes left here together. We're going to dive into it, keeping the, the baseball softball theme. And I don't know how prevalent this is in U10 softball, but I know in baseball at the competitive level, chin music is a big deal. Guy yeah. pimps a home run on you. Next time, you know, you're dialing one up, up and in, or behind the back or whatever. So, chin music, I got five or six quick hitters for you. Sentence or less answers, though. That might be your first bit of chin music right there. (laughs) Major league player, past or present, that you would love to be on the mound against and why?
1: Tony Gwynn. Tony Gwynn. I would love to face Tony Gwynn because he was – he was unbelievable. He was the best of the best in the box, in my opinion. Uh, as far as my era, that I actually got to see, and I see my era, and I grew up watching and yep. idolizing, the guy was as pure as it gets as a hitter. And I would love to see what he would do to my stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and then on the opposite end of
0: that, major league player past or present that you would absolutely dread facing.
1: Ooh, uh, I tell you what, Randy Johnson. He wasn't my favorite player of all time by any means, but when you watched that guy, I felt like he could just reach out and touch you from that mound, and he threw gas, just absolute Petro. And I know there's guys now throwing over 100, like Chapman and all this stuff, but he would have been the guy that I would not have wanted to face.
0: There was arms and elbows and shoulders and legs flying at the hitter from like two feet away. Oh, yeah, that John
1: Kruk. All-star. Was it like 99 All-Star or something oh, like that? Oh, man. One of the greatest <laughs> All-Star moments ever by Crucky. That was awesome. <laughs> um,
0: Barry Bonds sh- should or shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame? Should. Mark McGuire? Should. Sosa? Should not. A-Rod? Should. Mariana Rivera deserves the unanimous. Vote in or should not have been unanimous? Should. Derek Jeter, unanimous or no?
1: That's a tough one for me. Um, <laughs> I, I, just because I know who, who all wasn't unanimous, I guess. But I, for what he was, I mean, I guess I'm always one that if you're a Hall of Famer, you're a Hall of Famer, and yeah. he's a Hall of Famer. So, yes, unanimous he should be. All
0: right favorite Major League Baseball stadium, whether you've been there or just one that you've seen from a distance and why?
1: Oh, man. So I've I've gotten to see a few of them. Um, Of course, the two that I want to say are just really not uh, (laughs) great topics of conversation these days. I would say I really liked Houston Stadium. Um, (laughs) I really did. I liked it a lot because it was felt right involved in the most recent stadium that I saw that that I enjoyed that uh, is in just dire straits in that area right now is the Twins yeah. Target Stadium was unbelievably beautiful. I caught it at a beautiful day, just it was it was beautiful. It was an awesome stadium.
0: You have to you're you're starting your own franchise. You you could pick from the pool of current ma- uh, major leaguers player. We'll go position players, not pitchers.
1: Okay. Who who are you starting your club with? It'd be hard to say anybody other than Mike Trout. All right, good good answer. <laughs> uh, is there anybody that's it's dominating the game at all facets and more than that guy?
0: That that nobody hears about because he's out west and he's
1: correct. I mean, on a is, horrible team. When you hear the greatest in the game say how good this guy is and how much better he is than anybody playing, I mean, pretty hard hard to say anybody else. What are your thoughts?
0: Ken Griffey Jr., we're, I think we're around the same age, yep. not too far apart. When he came into the league, it was just like – I don't, I don't even know how to describe it. It was just different. He was different. He was exciting. He brought an excitement to baseball that the people who aren't like purists and don't love the game for the game yep. were drawn to that. For sure. How would he translate his skill set? Would he still be – like I always viewed him – the guy was just – he was the best. He was the best for a short period of time. He had some injuries derail. I think what would, would have been a long career.
1: Oh, I think he, you put him in any era, He, he would have been great. He he was, he was something he was a uh, five tool player, you know, and there's certain guys that they say are, are generational, right? And uh, he was one, he was, he was the best of his era. In my opinion, just talent wise is off the chart. Uh, he was more talented than Baron bonds and Barry bonds. Whether he did the juice, didn't do the juice, whatever. I mean, he was just a a ridiculous athlete. But Griffey was ten times better. Griffey could do it all, and I think right now, absolutely, he he would be head and shoulders over a guy like uh, uh, Harper. Yep. Um, I believe.
0: Last, last one here. (laughs) (laughs) You go to a ballpark. What's your What's your go-to? What's your go-to ballpark food? Your
1: your go-to ballpark snack? Ballpark snack, man. <laughs> Love me a nice cold Bud Light with. I could go with a ballpark dog, and popcorn.
0: There you go. No Love Cracker it. Jack. You're a baseball purist, and no Cracker Jack. Come
1: on. Uh, you know, there's, there's, <laughs> there's not a lot over here. At Cracker Jacks. They do the peanuts. Peanuts are big. I could yep. could have said peanuts, but. Yeah, if I get to do something, you know, they now all these places they got unbelievable food everywhere, and these they're getting like sushi tickets. and. Oh, it's crazy! <laughs> but when you get a good dog, a good ballpark dog, and a beer and ice and, cold and, tall boy, that's oh, man, that's, that's it's a critical part it's of the operation. <laughs> yeah, I love that. We love the day games here because you get to. Well, man, my buddies, we go and catch that game. We get the, we get a dog and we have a beer and we watch that game and then we journey back to the fam. Don't miss anything. So yeah, yep, that's right. <laughs>
0: that's perfect.
1: <laughs> um, and then just my last
0: question: yes. Youth sports is important for children because?
1: Oh man, it's it, to me, outside school is it's the most important thing you can get your kids involved in. It, it teaches them everything, um, the winning and the losing, it teaches them how to cope with stuff uh, for the rest of their life. Uh, it teaches them a work ethic that. Those that are involved in sports, a lot of them go on to higher education, go on to uh, higher employment, higher salaries, make more money when they're involved in youth sports, uh, especially those that can make it all the way up to high school. It's, it's, it's uh, amazing. You, you and I both know, Dan, in the working world, those that, are, that I know that are the most successful are typically former athletes, even if it was just in high school. Um, I feel you sports teach these kids so much and those that do not allow them to play or those that um, uh, don't, don't understand the life lessons that they learn in losing um, and, and understanding how to overcome defeat and not having everything given to them um, and that everybody's a winner and everybody gets a trophy. When kids can learn that through sports it makes them better people. And I think our, our, uh, our country has done a disjustice to youth sports by trying to make everybody a winner and give everybody a trophy. And I think that's created a – and I'm sorry I'm going off on a tangent here. but No, think, no, no, this is good. I think that's created uh, a stereotype with the millennials out there is because they're from a generation of everybody winning and everybody getting what they want and having a choice – and a voice or sports teaches you totally opposite of that. Yeah. You know, and, and you do keep score because there is a winner and loser. And, and why? Because if you lose, you're going to work harder to be better at something. And it's the same thing in work. And you know, your all your life lessons. And I, uh, like I said, you're doing your, your family, your kids a disjustice if you don't introduce them. And it could be any sport. Yeah. It could be anything. And there's so many out there, you know, and, 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 just take a look at the Olympic sports that are available, and find something. You know, it's funny. I remember a conversation with my brother-in-law saying, "What if, what if my my daughter is is a pianist, and I don't ever put her in front of a piano? You know, how do how do you know what sport she's going to excel at, or what what to do? So, guess what? Our kids do it all. They get an opportunity to play whatever they want to play. This last weekend, their first time ever, they went and had a, a volleyball lesson because we had the weekend off. And nice. Their good friend was playing beach volleyball and he had a free class and they went and they had a blast. And guess what? The summer we're going to go do beach volleyball on Saturdays for an hour and just try something new because at their school, they get the opportunity to play every sport, volleyball, yeah. swimming, you know, track, you know, so get them involved in sports, parents and, and coaches, make sure you continue to teach those lessons that losing is okay. If if you learn from it. Right. And uh, that's why youth sports is so important. I love it. And
0: great because you're not, you're not going to get accepted to the first guy or girl that you ask out on a date. You're going to get rejected. Right. There's a chance that you might not get into the college that you want to go to or get the first dream job that you want. How do you come back from it? You know, all these things that'll happen throughout your life where failure is legitimate. And, you know, in a nutshell, youth sport teaches them to win with grace Right, yep, yeah, win, but let the wind do the talking, right, which I think there needs to be more of that too, and it teaches them to lose with accountability and a mindset of let's get better from it, and man, if those skills don't travel to other elements of life, I don't know what to do,
1: yeah yeah you know? no you're you're correct, and i uh I love that my kids like sports, I can tell you that much, and I love that they. They always are wanting to get better and are open to trying new things. And I, I hope everybody out there listening encourages their kids, uh, their nieces, their nephews, their grandkids to get involved in something, find something, and and you never know what it could be. And they could change the world.
0: That's right. That's right. And I, I'm going to throw a recommendation on you if you're looking for a new one. You got to get them some plastic, and you got to play a little bit of disc golf down there. Disc golf. Yeah. Not- we, yeah.
1: we went, it's to, huge down there. It is. And, and it's funny. We drove by uh, a park. I had never been in this area. I, I'm born and raised here. Never been over behind Eddie Seymour in that area, which is a huge softball complex, huge softball complex. There was a friend of ours that was having a birthday and we were driving by and we went down and there was all these, uh, the Frisbee golf. It was yep. a huge course set up and went across two streets yep. and around into these trees and of course there was like five groups of, of four yep. on each other playing that. And, it, and my kids immediately asked, dad, what's that? <laughs> well, when I'm, I'll bring some plastic
0: down when I'm doing a, uh, next time oh, I'm down for in Florida, sure. we'll do a, we'll do a free tutorial. I'm a little rusty, but that will be a good time.
1: <laughs> <be fun>. Enjoy <laughs> hey,
0: that. John, as always, you freaking crushed it, knocked it out of the park. Tremendous conversation, you know, as you get going with the, the the Lady Alliance before your little summer break, absolutely wishing you guys the best of luck down there. I know you know, you, you have one coach that's a little iffy, but uh, <laughs> I know you guys are doing some great things with the kids that will help them on the softball field, but more importantly beyond that, really great appreciate ball. you being on tonight, John. Thank you.
1: No, I appreciate it. Thank you, Dan, and I look forward to talking to you again. Yes, indeed. Ladies and gentlemen, this is – John
0: Vigueux, former pro baseball player and currently kicking some rear end as the skipper of the Lady Alliance down there in the the Clearwater area of Florida. John, he leads with Empower. Thank you so much for checking us out this week. Be safe. Go out there do something to lead yourself and lead other people to do some great things. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time. Be safe, be well, be happy, and get after it. Thank you so much to our listeners. We appreciate you tuning in. And always remember, great leadership looks, sounds, and feels different. However, there is a common thread that connects all tremendous leaders. They are passionate about those that they lead, and they spend most of their time in their stretch zone. Not settling for that which is comfortable, because nothing exceptional was ever accomplished from comfort.